0: Well, lots of stuff happening these days, starting with COVID. The Delta variant is spreading, and debate is firing up again about masking, distancing, and vaccines. And so, we're going to hear from Bishop Frank today about how he sees things with regard to the Diocese of Bridgeport and um, the church's teaching on all of this. And, with this happening, Bishop Cacciano is also going to talk about kids everywhere as they get ready to go back to school, and how to keep the faith when you're at school. That is all up ahead on today's Let Me Be Frank, so keep your radio right here at 1350 a.m. And as you probably know, you can also listen on your phone using the Veritas mobile app, which you can get at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing, lifelong formation and discipleship, and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful so, for more information, visit foundationsinfaith.org. All right. So, this is let me be frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano.
1: Steve, gosh, how the world changes week by week, right?
0: Uh, up and down, and we have back so and forth. So much to talk
1: about about ah. COVID, the pandemic, vaccines, so much stuff. Just in the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because it felt like the COVID thing was going to be behind us. Yeah. And then suddenly the Delta variant and it's coming back. And Bye. I know you've been Bye. keeping an eye on this and
1: actually you just issued a letter last week. Yes. Yes. To um to all the clergy. Let's just take a step back. I think we have to come to terms with the fact that the pandemic will become an... Um, I'm not exactly sure this is the correct word. It will be endemic. That is, it will remain with us for a very long time. Yeah. And we have to manage how to deal with it. Because I'm not exactly sure it's going to be, quote-unquote, behind us 100%. So um, we need to return to some semblance of normalcy. We need to learn the correct lessons from what we have done the last year and a half, including the use of technology. Um, but we also need to have mitigating procedures in place so that we don't have to go into a lockdown. Because I'm not sure we can sustain another lockdown, both as a church, but quite frankly as the largest society. Because we're not even sure of the psychological effects and sociological effects of the first one. Never yeah. mind having another one. Right. right. So, and that complicates this issue. And if I may, to anticipate maybe a conversation we can have in our next podcast, the real fault line here is that there is a legitimate need to discern individual, personal choice, and also the moral obligation to the common good. And we are skewed as a society to the first and not the second. So that plays a large factor in how we're going to deal with this if this is here for the next 20, 30 years. And where do I need to see the good of the whole as really claiming the need for my attention and my consideration in choices that I need to make? So that the good of the whole, more specifically, the neighbor I have next to me, is very much a part of my thinking and my action. Does that make sense? Total sense. Yep. And in a sense, that could be the long-term grace of the pandemic. Because we've talked about this before. Maybe next week we could talk about it some more again. The Western world, for 400 years, has been moving towards the subject, the person. So... When does that get counterbalanced? When we have open warfare in our in our streets because everybody's decided they are the the rule of what's moral, what's law, what's true, what's good, what's acceptable? Do we actually fall into chaos? Does society actually completely fall apart when we realize we can't be a nation of 365 million countries? And it may sound strange to do that, to say that, but If there were no laws to begin with, that's really where we're moving towards. We can't go in that direction. On the other hand, people have legitimate personal concerns and rights, and and they have to be respected. So how do we count about? Maybe the pandemic will force this other piece of the equation to come forward and say, but wait, you know, but what about your neighbor? We've talked about that for 18 months. So anyway, that's the backdrop. But the Delta variant... The Delta variant is clearly more contagious, right? I mean, I don't think there's any dispute there. Right. And I'm not sure it's more deadly, and I'm not sure it creates more illness. That I don't know, because I'm not a doctor. But I do know it is more contagious. What I also know, that we all know, is that while there is a vaccine available for adults... There is no vaccine available for children. So I joke at home when I go over to vi- vi- visit my great niece and great nephew. And I keep saying, where are the children? It's all about the children. And of course, everybody kind of looks at me. <laughs> in, in this conversation, it is in many ways, principally about the children Yeah, to protect our children does anybody debate that that our children should be protected and they are literally sitting ducks because there is nothing there for them and they are falling sick in record numbers all around the country because there's nowhere where they are vaccinated or safe quote unquote if you want to consider it that So a lot of this Delta variant, I am really worried about how it's going to impact children. And we're going to talk about how schools are going to try to mitigate that, right, in the fall. But all right. So what I issued was just what I considered to be logical. And that is prior to the Delta variant making a real impact in Connecticut, uh, we lifted any uh, requirement for masks indoor in church because the state did not require it anymore. And just as the state asks for those who are unvaccinated to wear a mask for protection of neighbor, so too we did the same thing. And that's just logical. Mm -hmm. So the same logic follows that if a locale or a town or a village has seen the infection rate spike dramatically and they say... They are mandating a mask for everyone indoors, regardless of vaccination status, that I've asked the pastors to follow that mandate. So there's no universal mandate in our diocese. You follow what local health authorities are requiring for their town or city. And it may be for a week, two weeks, two months, a month, who knows? The hope is that it will go, the mandate will be rescinded when the infection rate goes down. So you can have that very strange situation where in one town it's required in the town next door it's not. But my thought is, why would I ask people in an area where the infection rate is not high to take on the added burden, for example, of wearing a mask if you're vaccinated, when there is no real health reason to do that? That's not fair to those people. Okay. So that's where we're at now. If you were to ask me what areas have required masks indoors for everyone, I know it's Stanford and I know it's Bridgeport. Someone recently told me yesterday when I was in the parish that, that Norwalk has also done the same. But are there other areas? I do not know. I would presume that pastors would know because they, you know, in the local news. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. It makes sense. um and, and, yeah, ma- masks are being uh, mandated by uh, towns up in northern Fairfield County as well. Ridgefield, Danbury, oh, right? Bethel, Brookfield. Are they all required now? Yes.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's, it's just going to gonna be more and falls. more. Right. Right. Again, because it's prudent. Right. Mm-hmm. For a lot of reasons. Not, not only, see, a couple of things people need to keep in mind. It's not only to protect the people who are here in front of you but it's also to slow the transmission of the virus so that it doesn't have the space to continue to mutate. Because the more it mutates, the more it's seeking a way to become transmissionable, to become available to new hosts. In other words, a vaccine doesn't mutate to become less contagious, it mutates to become more contagious. If we want to get this behind us, we got to eliminate the space where it could be prevalent and continue to find ways to change itself, to become more dangerous. So that's the other piece to this puzzle. But the thing I need to remind everyone, two other things. Number one is nowhere has there been any discussion of returning to social distancing. Nowhere has there been mandatory sanitation that we were doing at the very beginning Uh, because the evidence is clear that the sanitation piece is not needed because transmission of the virus is really aerial. It's through aerosol. It's not through touch. It's very remote that you can uh, uh, be infected with the coronavirus by touch. We should still be prudent, but we don't have to go back to any of those protocols. It's really just mask wearing is what we talk about. And the other thing I want to remind everyone is, if you are not vaccinated you are still required to wear a mask indoors. That has not changed. That has not changed since June. Right. Now, I must confess, I'm not sure, and it's an honor system. Mm -hmm. I would never advocate prove that you're vaccinated or not. I mean, my goodness, if you're coming to Mass, I presume you're not going to be lying. (laughs) I mean, why would you come to Mass and sin as you walk through the door? I mean, how would you do that? (laughs) So I presume everyone is coming with right intention. Right, so we have an advantage as a church. I can make that presumption. I mean, if you go to a Target and they're requiring it, I don't know. I mean, that may be a different set of values. But for us, I presume right. everyone's telling the truth, right? Yeah. To think otherwise would just be awful to make yeah. the presumption that people are not.
0: I think that's one of the biggest um, worries, though, as, as towns and the government starts to uh, start to be more careful with the spread of the disease— or the the virus, that I think a lot of Catholics are really worried, well,
1: will my church at least stay open? Oh my gosh, we can't close again, we can't. No, 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 we can't. We can't, it has long-term damage to the religious and spiritual life of our people, we can't. The first time, many reasons, we've explained them before, but now we're knowledgeable, we have tools, no, 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 no. To close down would be a would be awful. Yeah. Mm-mm. Right. Mm-mm. So, but now, <clears throat> go ahead. I'm sorry, Steve. No, no. I was
0: please. just gonna. I was just gonna say now. So, so as you're saying, Excellency. Now that we've been through it for a year, and mm-hmm. like you said, last year there were so many unknowns out there that, um, you know, everybody was doing the best they could with the information that they had. But now we have more information. We've kind of seen. At least to some degree, what works and what doesn't work as much. So I imagine that you, our good pa- our good pastors, are um, more prepared going into any contingency absolutely. plans.
1: Yeah, absolutely, 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 absolutely. And I think um, it it will rise and fall on the cooperation of our people as well. There's another issue that has come up, if I may if we have the time to talk about, and that is this whole question of mandating the vaccine. Okay, so now, in all healthcare facilities in Connecticut, if you work in it, you must be vaccinated. There is talk about doing it in schools. There are private businesses that are mandating the vaccine. And that enters into a very delicate area, which I think we should talk about. Because um, there will be an instruction that will go out um, in very shortly to the pastors and priests of the diocese that will give them guidance on how to help individuals who are seeking a religious exemption from a mandate from the vaccine. How do you do it and how do you do it properly? Yeah. Okay. So, the first thing we need to remember is no priest and no bishop teaches authoritatively the Catholic faith apart from the magisterium. And the magisterium has taught authoritatively through the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith and through the successor of Peter that the vaccines that exist to date to fight the coronavirus are morally permissible for Catholics to receive. Moderna and Pfizer, preferably because the controversy of the use of cells from aborted fetuses, that is the, st- the cell lines from aborted fetuses from, that have been in production maybe 30 or 40 years, that the cooperation with the evil there is so remote that in proportionality they can be per- permitted to be used. And even the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, if there is no other vaccine available, in those very restricted circumstances, can be received in a morally permissible way. So that is clearly what the Church teaches. But equally, part of the equation is the realization that a Catholic whose conscience is fully informed and after prayer for reflection, can arrive at the personal decision to not take the vaccine. Okay? The Holy Father and the CDF have made it clear that that sort of decision needs to remember that it's not just a personal reflection, but that there is a moral imperative for us to care for those around us that what we do does not affect adversely the common good or the health of our neighbors and friends and even our children. So that when we say a personal decision, in that personal reflection, you do need to look at the larger picture rather than just oneself. But that's part of being informed. That's part of the reflection that you need to go through, right? You have to look at all the pieces of the puzzle. And there are legitimate reasons why a person could choose to do what? To hold themselves to a more rigorous standard than is permitted in faith. Let me draw you a silly analogy. The Church says, it's not silly, but I mean, it's not as grave as, as this. The Church says that you are to either abstain from meat on Fridays, all Fridays of the year, or to substitute an act of penance, which many Catholics forget to do. But if you have a choice, a Catholic may say, I choose not to eat meat on Fridays because, in my in my reflection, this is a profound aid to my spiritual life. No one should question that decision at all. Now, it may, may not be a conscientious decision right it's a choice but nonetheless you can hold yourself to a standard more rigorous than what the church says you're permitted to do now in a question of this right if the church says it's morally permissible to use the vaccine you may discern reasons in your own life informed by faith or your personal circumstances that says i in conscience cannot do that The fact that there is a remote connection, even distantly remote, to cells from an aborted fetus, uh, I just in conscience can't do that. I can't cooperate with that. And therefore can make the choice to seek an exemption from the mandate based on faith. Now, I do have to offer a word of caution for those who are listening to this podcast. When you talk about remote cooperation with evil, particularly the evil of abortion, my dear friends, there is remote cooperation in many aspects of our lives that we do not allude to. And if you're going to claim you are conscientiously objecting to remote cooperation in one area, then for that decision to be truly informed, how do you hold yourself accountable for remotely cooperating with the same evil in other areas of your life. So for example, for example, let me give you two examples. In the state of Connecticut, the state finances abortions through its Medicare program. When you pay state taxes, you are remotely cooperating with the actual sin of committing an... uh, the actual sin of someone being paid to have an abortion. How does one reconcile that in conscience? Or, the next time you buy anything made in China, anything made in China, which is all over our households, my friends, the Chinese government uses the money collected to specifically pay for abortions of millions of children every single year. You buy that product, there is some remote, it could be extraordinary, but there is some remote cooperation with the evil that is being done to those women in China by the millions. How does one reconcile one's conscience to that? See, so if you're going to reconcile your conscience, we all need to reconcile our conscience on the issue. And I just use that as a caution, not to deter people from making this request, but As a pastor of the church, I have to say, you can't pick and choose where you're gonna make peace and where you're not. And there's more examples that I could give, right? Just like the Hyde Amendment now, right? And the Helms Amendment, which are not gonna be passed in the budget. How do we reconcile ourselves to that? Do you not pay taxes? Do you go to jail? What do you do? It's a complicated question. But anyway, so go back to the issue. So this is where it becomes extremely important that people understand how you do this correctly. My friends, the most important thing to realize is your conscience is the deepest deepest part of who you are in your dialogue with God. And therefore, the only person who can speak for your conscience is you. Not your pastor, not the Pope, nobody, you. So any person who is seeking a religious exemption from a mandate needs to recognize that what they are asking for is a conscientious objection based on their faith and their circumstances that they need to make for themselves first. So the letter needs to be written by them, speaking in the first person. I object for these reasons, based on my faith. Now, what does a priest then do? What a priest can do, a deacon can do, and the church can do, and what we're working on, is to provide a statement or an accompanying letter that a pastor could provide, that doesn't speak to the conscience of a person, because he can't do that. But what he can do is speak to what the church teaches. And say, this is what the church teaches about vaccines, about how one could, could religiously have an objection to this. This is what the church said, these are the circumstances by which, so that an employer can say, well, the church does teach that it is possible to have a religious, a conscientious religious objection to receiving a particular vaccine. And the person is stating for themselves in a separate letter, this is my conscientious objection. All right? So the letter can stand on its own. If an employer wants a statement of what the church teaches, it could be accompanied by a letter that, that a pastor could provide or a statement that we could draft and provide. Put them together. That's how you do this and you do it correctly. Now, having given this big speech, does that make sense? I mean, anything not clear?
0: No, it's. I think it's, it's perfect. So... Um... So the, the Catholic Church teaches that it is licit and okay to get these vac- this vaccine that goes back all the way to—that uh, um, mm-hmm. teaching goes all the way back even to you know, Pope Benedict's co- Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith and, and farther back. But, um, but so it's licit to get the vaccine. If you feel like you can't or don't want to or you know, will not— that's also okay, according to church teaching. All right, all right. So now,
1: again, not to be picky, yes. But the language used is extremely important. Okay. It's not what I want. Right. It's not what I like. It's what I feel impelled by my conscience. Yes. When I have the full information, both what the church teaches, my personal circumstances, and the common good, what my moral my moral obligation is to larger society to protect human life. Vulnerable neighbor. When you put all of that together in prayer, your conscience will tell you, "This is what I need. This is what you are being impelled to ask for." Because you need to follow your conscience. Yes. But it's not just a willy-nilly choice. That that's that is not how it works.
0: Yeah. No, my mistake. I didn't. didn't No, no, no. no, I'm just saying.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. But Steve, the only reason I'm making, you know, I'm, I'm emphasizing is because I think you know what it means. I know you know what it means. But the average person going on social media just thinks it's a right to make the, to seek, it's a right to seek an exemption. No, it's not a right in that sense. Right. Because they're confusing it with civil rights that, you know, in the United States, we always talk about, no, 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 no. The truth is what we're subject to. And in conscience, knowing the truth in your circumstances, you may feel that you cannot in, you cannot do what is being asked of you because you're f- embracing the truth, okay, as it applies to you. Right, it's not just an opinion. Yes, yes. So right? if
0: you feel, um, after learn after examining it and praying about it, mm-hmm. and you feel impelled mm-hmm. by your conscience not mm-hmm. to get the vaccine then it sounds like, Excellency, you are going to provide a a roadmap for Catholics as to how to make that argument to their employers, for example.
1: Right. In other words, there will be a template that a person can follow to write a letter, which would be very simple. And they would have to state the reasons in faith why they would object. My guess is the vast majority of people who are objecting conscientiously to the vaccine is because abortion derived cell lines were used either in its testing or in its production. Right. I, I think the vast majority of people are, are that's the real objection. Right. And um and then we're still completing work on whether we're going to provide a statement or an authoritative teaching authority will provide a statement that could accompany the letter. Absent that, we will provide language for a pastor to have an accompanying letter if it's necessary. My experience has been, to this point, for the people that I've been working with, most institutions have been very expansive in accepting the statement of a religious uh, exemption. Remember, because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Chapter 7, right, Title Seven, They have to be as widely open to it as possible because it is our right. Yeah and yep. religious freedom to choose that, right? Yes, mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure this right. is a conversation we're going to continue to have, as you said. <laughs> I mean, definitely over the next several months, but maybe over the next several years. So, I may be <laughs> dead and buried by yeah. the time it's over. <laughs> for now, we're gonna we're gonna take a break, um, and we'll come back. We're gonna talk about uh, going back to school, which is also you know tied to this as well. Um, You are listening to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We will be right back. Catholic radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. So, Excellency, um, besides, so we're we're gonna shift the topic a little bit to going back to school, and um, we could talk about the COVID stuff, but uh, I think it might be better to take a step back, unless unless you'd like to go in the other direction. You know, besides the public. Health and safety stuff. There are general considerations that every student needs to make as they get ready. Oh, without a doubt.
1: Yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Absolutely. I would just say this, if I may, just meander halfway between mm-hmm. the two, and that is, for, for our our children in Catholic schools, they were in person last year, so the transition is you know it's always a transition from summer to school. On the other hand, for a lot of our students who were not in our Catholic schools, whatever schools they were, either had hybrid programs or many of them were home, this is going to be a huge transition, huge transition, and I'm happy to hear that many of the school systems are providing counseling um, services for their students when they return because I think we have to be prepared this time around for two things, academic, and academic deficit, and a social deficit. And by academic deficit, I mean that as, as much as it was valiant to try to educate our children online, and I'm sure they learned, it's not the same than being in the classroom. It's just not. It can't be. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. so a lot of these young people are going to come back and they may have to catch up with some of the stuff they would ordinarily have learned but didn't or ordinarily retained that they didn't even if they were taught it because it's one thing to teach it and learn it one thing to keep it in your head <laughs> so I, I think it's going to be interesting like how much did our, our young people really retain yeah. from last year and it and, and makes me feel terrible because, you know, going to school is, you know, some kid, some some young people think it's like wonderful. But most of us kind of like endured it, <laughs> at least on some level. <laughs> so uh, so that's going to be tough. And then the social deficit is what we're talking about. And that is they haven't really been socializing the same way. Yep. And with the Delta variant, they may be required to wear masks. I know in New York City they will be. I think in our Catholic schools, our hope is not to, but that may change by September, depending on where we're at, yeah, so it, it's not the same to socialize. you know, kids hug each other, you know they they, they slap each other, um, they interact, yeah because uh, it's they natural. share food, yeah, they share food. <laughs> And then if they keep being told not to do that, not to do that, now now it's, it's the second year then that they would be in this situation. Right. So there's the normal interaction. Anyway, so that's all in the background unique to this. But, I, you know, I, I loved, now again, I loved preparing to go back to school. I didn't quite love the first days of school. Uh-huh. But I loved preparing. Why? Because these were the rituals. See, these were the rituals. Okay. Mom would take us to the local five and dime store and we'd buy our notebooks. Yep. And we would buy our pencil case, which we had the luxury of picking the one you wanted, and all your pencils and erasers and glue even though half the time we didn't use it and, and erasers we did use <laughs> used a lot bought those and a ruler even though we had the rule from last year but you had to buy a new one so in other words it was like a fresh start it was it was kind of neat I still remember it it was just kind of and even though it was just I don't know it was just like there was something great about the newness of it all yeah right? yeah right and then in Catholic school we got our uniforms now Sometimes they were recycled, but most of the time, because you're growing, they really can't be recycled. So I remember uh, going to the store to get the uniform. I also remember there were years when we did it by mail order, that they came to the school and we got measured. And they, But then when you first got it and put it on, it had that smell. You know that smell? I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> It's like the smell of a new car. Don't you love the smell of a new car? when yes. you go, in. <laughs> right. <laughs> the same thing. It was the smell of it. And, and you put it on. And it was kind of like, I don't know. It was like maybe when, you, when you're in the armed services and you put on your uniform for the first time and you look yourself in the mirror and say, gosh, is that me? <laughs> same thing here. And then the, the, the kicker was to get new shoes. And we had to walk to 86th Street to um oh what was it called? the hush puppies? Hush, I think it was Hush Puppies? Or the or the Stride Ride or I forget the name of the store now. That so that was a good thirty minute walk to get there. Wow. Right? Wow. But it was a particular shoe. God forbid you were not wearing a shoe. <laughs> right. It was that shoe or barefoot. That was the shoe. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as they came in, my mother went because she didn't want to make sure if she wanted to make sure we had them. And it was just the craziest things in your head coming back about yeah. there was this excitement that there was something new.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you know, back when, when you were younger and I was younger, we didn't have the social media, so sometimes you would come back to the first day of class and people look so different, especially middle school and
1: high school as they're going through puberty. You're like, whoa. (laughs) Right, right. Oh, yeah. And of course, sister always looked the same. Yeah, yeah, right. It was like Dorian Gray. They never changed. They always looked the same. It was quite quite miraculous. (laughs) But you see, growing up in the neighborhood, I I, I know I'm not answering your question, but you have to to bear with me because this is my my psychological therapy, right? (laughs) I remember uh, the sisters of course they lived in the convent so we would see them I would see them in the summer um, but they kept a respectful distance meaning you know they say hello how are you but they won't get into any large conversations because inevitably would wind up co- talking about school and they figured they'd leave these poor kids alone for the summer but when you got to like the assumption it was fair game so if sister was walking down the street and she happened to catch you, she would ask you, so are you getting ready? Do you have your books? Do you have your uniform? Do you have your shoes? Do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have the other? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sister. Yes. Yes, I have it. Yes. I, we, we're ready to roll. Yep. Ready. We're ready. And then they'd go outside. They sweep outside. Okay. You see them washing all the windows on the inside of the school. Huh. You know, they would, the janitor would take the desks out and they would wash them with the hose. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, they were, were, were not fooling around. <laughs> they were. And all of that was like the ritual, ritual of going back, right? And then Labor Day was so depressing. <laughs> because unlike Connecticut, you know, in the city, it was Labor Day was the end. Tuesday, you saw the teachers come back. Wednesday, you were back. Yep. That was it. yeah. So maybe this year, for the students who are not in session, they may be general happiness to be back with their classmates again.
0: Mm -hmm. This
1: may be a unique beginning to the school year. I'm not sure you're going to find too many, maybe I'm wrong, but too many young people who are going to be just absolutely opposed and despondent to go to school because they're going to be with kids again, their own classmates again, right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And maybe that will create the goodwill that they they really will be open to learning in a way maybe they they weren't before. Who knows? Let's see. How yeah. It is.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, my and my um, my oldest, as you know, is in college, mm-hmm. and so I'm taking him out um, on Friday to drop him off, and he oh. cannot wait to get out there. He spent second semester on campus um, and he can't wait to get back out there and see his friends again and, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, see,
1: that's so, that's so good though, especially if you have good friends. If you have bad friends, that's not a good thing. <laughs> right. But, right? Yeah. But if you have good friends, yeah, because they support each other. And for little ones, so you ask, how do parents and teachers approach school then? How do you? Pro- well, I mean, first and foremost, do what you're always done but this year, you got to sprinkle it with a heck of a lot more patience. Yeah. Yep. Patience for the teachers who are going to try to figure out how do you deal with class where half of it may have retained what they learned, half of it did not retain what they learned in this subject. How do you deal with that and still move ahead with the material that's there? Be patient. Be patient with the kids because the socializing, they're going to be bumps along the way. People, some, some are going to act out. And I think, not to add to the plate of parents and grandparents, but if you attend to your, your, your child's studies and homework, this year, in a particular way, spend time with them to go over their work and to go over their homework because you yourself may not know how much they have retained and not retained. And the teacher will not be able to do it all himself or herself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Patience.
0: Yeah. And, um, and since we have the bishop here with us, I want to ask mm-hmm. you, you know, specifically, let's start with um, kids heading off to college for the first time or going back to college. What, what's your advice for the kids themselves and also for the parents? How do we keep our kids Catholic in college?
1: It's a great question. And there is no universal answer because much depends on um, the young person in the concrete. Why do I say that? Well, for example, if your young person has fought you tooth and nail all along the way, for example, to attend Mass or um, to do even what you ask of them, then chances are if they go away to college, they're going to see it as the bolt into freedom. And I'm not exactly sure what advice you can give that will actually penetrate to change the behavior that absent your discipline would have been in front of you while they were home. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then you have to pray you have to pray for their guardian angel you have to pray to their patron saint you have to pray to our lady to protect them and not do anything really stupid if i could be really blunt yeah yeah if you if your young person is observant in the faith you know somewhat willingly then the key here the advice i would suggest is the discernment of what young classmates you are going to invest in to create friendships. In other words, the company you keep in college is the single greatest factor that will either retain that religious observance or mitigate it or turn it away. Yes, yes. You agree? I do, I do. You know, as
0: St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, bad company ruins good morals. And then right. there's, of course, there's a proverb on the other side that says, "As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another." So, right.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So then the question is, how do you discern friendship? And I'm not really sure. We have done a tremendous job of trying to help anyone, a particularly young person, to discern how to do that. Yeah. Because we naturally are attracted to people who are attractive. Attractive whether they are physical attractive, all right, because they are going to gain the lion's share of attention in any class, or whether they're socially attractive, that they're funny and sociable and the life of the party because, again, they will draw the lion's share of attention, or they are perhaps academically attractive. You know, they're the ones who you could go to and get the answers if you need them when you're doing your homework and all the rest or help when you don't figure. and. Those individuals could also be religiously upright, trying to live a moral life, practicing their faith, and maybe they're not. So, for a young person, attraction is just normal, but you have to help them to realize that you can't always go with the heart, that there needs to be a discernment of the mind and ask some hard questions, such as, is this person the real deal? Mm-hmm. Or do are they just surface or show? Do they show real signs of maturity? The key question is: can I trust them? And you can't presume from the beginning you can trust them. You have they have to earn that trust. Right? But there are basic questions you ask. So I'm not suggesting all young people go totally guarded, but don't also go flinging into a a friendship thinking, oh, this person seems like they're they're attractive, they're fun, and therefore I'm going to invest 100% of my money. No, 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 Mm -hmm. don't do that. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Keep all your options open. Yes. And I'm going to tell you something else because I'm a little strange, as you know. Vote for the underdog. If you're not naturally inclined as a young person to look at those individuals who are the quieter ones, the reserved ones, the ones that don't draw attention, spend time with them. They may be the pearl of great price, the hidden treasure and gem in a class. Not the one who happens to be whatever he or she happens to be.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah
1: because discern those too they may be truly remarkable friends who will help you in faith because in the end if they're not practicing if they are catholic and they're not practicing their catholic faith do you think they're going to encourage you to practice your catholic faith no so it's all about company my advice is it's all about the company you keep yeah and quite frankly as a parent you have every right to say so who are your friends and when you go to visit Spend time with those friends, not just with your own child. Yes, I want to meet your friends. Yep. Let me see what makes these people tick. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep.
0: Every time my parents came to visit me at Boston College, they or almost every time they took out. Uh, they'd say, "Pick three three people. Let's take them out to dinner." And, t- great, tremendous. Yeah, yeah.
1: tremendous. So. Right. And and again, it's not. We see now. Of course, my father. If my father came. It would have been judge and jury. There was no question about it. My father would not have made any pretense. You know, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to discern. He would come right out and say, you, so-and-so, do you go to church? Tell me, do you do this or that or the other? Would would not good. All right. That's why I was very lonely growing up. No, no. I mean, I was just, right. not a question. So I'm not suggesting do it in a way that's yeah, that lacks all finesse. But don't be afraid to ask the questions either, don't, I mean.
0: Yeah.
1: Listen, your son or daughter may not be happy, they may not thank you now, but they will thank you later.
0: Yeah.
1: They will thank you later. Yep. Right? Now you have to add stuff. You're a parent, I'm just talking from the outside as a pastor, but I mean, uh, would you add anything to that Uh, Ski? do you think?
0: I would excellency and it's just top of mind for me all the time because I'm always trying to think about what are the like the three lessons that I want my kids really to to know right now and so it's always on my mind I would say um besides the friends which I agree with you is probably you know number one the quality of the friends who you're friends with um I've made it a point or with with Andrew and 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 I'm doing that with my other two kids you know you need to know the faith. You know you need mm-hmm. to know what the teachings are and apologetics to a certain degree and ask questions because no matter who you are, there's going to come a time when you have some serious questions or doubts about this or that in the faith. And when that happens, I keep telling them, just ask because the church has the answers. So just ask. But And then the other thing, and this is one that I've really been hounding my oldest son on, is um, you need time for silence. So bombarded mm. with stuff mm. all the time. And even just having a phone off and in your hand is still noisy. And so mm-hmm. you just need to make, conscientiously make some time for silence
1: every day. It's tremendous advice. And I would also have one other too, and that is practically speaking, when you visit these colleges before your son or daughter enrolls, I think every parent should make sure they know what the campus ministry looks like. Who is the chaplain or chaplains there? Where is mass celebrated? Where is it celebrated on Sunday? Yeah, exactly. And make sure their son and daughter knows because let me tell you something, if they have no idea of the practicalities, it is not going to be the easiest for them to start researching it to go, some will, yeah, but you're making the path straighter if you already have actually attended mass with them on campus. What about that? Yes. As an
0: image? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can and I mean, you know that room. So and you said, <clears throat> Excellency, that um, some kids will bolt for you know quote freedom when they get there. Oof. I think what I've seen is that also, you know, a parent can't do anything about that. It's not your fault as a parent. But I think if, if you, um, so like uh, when I was in college, I was not a model Catholic by any means, by any stretch of the imagination, but the example that my parents gave for me when I, when I was growing up and, um, and the faith that they gave to me still acted as some sort of an anchor for me, even as I kind of went this way and that way, I was I still had them as almost like the lighthouse in the harbor, and so I always knew where land was. So, whatever your kids do, it's, it's not your fault, um, just be the lighthouse for them. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and sometimes, I mean, in the ideal world, it should be your parents. But sometimes it's not. Yeah. So who is the person in your life that is your inspiration or your guide or um, the person you admire in faith that you don't want to disappoint or comes to mind when you may be having to make a choice and say, If Father X or Deacon Y or Sister Z or Mom or Dad or my Aunt Mary was standing in front of me, what decision would I make? Right,
0: yeah. L- mm-hmm. l- let me ask you, Excellency. Um, you know the faith. Obviously, it's just as important, if not more important, um, uh, also for our, our elementary and high school students. W- mm-hmm. What do you recommend that they, the students themselves, and the families do throughout the school year to to help them?
1: Oh, the key, the, without doubt, the number one thing that they need to do is bring their children to mass. Period. It That is not an onerous ask, it's the obligation of witnesses of faith, which who are, who are parents, but you, whoever you happen to be, need to make the highest priority in your weekend that you bring your children to Mass, because you are setting the stage for the graced encounter of Christ with your son or daughter as much as we want to bring our children to faith, we as parents or spiritual parents, as I consider myself, right? A spiritual father. Yes. It's not our work. It's Christ's work in the power of his Holy Spirit. And to the extent like you suggested, creating silence, you're suggesting that. Not so that they rest, but that they're resting Christ. Yes. That they have an opportunity to, to hear his voice with the cacophony of noise and trash that's out there. Well, the same thing at mass. So you put him in front of the Lord, like the courier of ours, and then he'll do the rest. So that, hands down, forget everything else, bring them to Mass every Sunday.
0: Yeah, amen, yeah. Um, and, and I would actually also say, Excellency, just like you said with the college kids, the friends, making sure your oh, kids yeah. have the
1: right friends, right. you know, for the rest of the week. Well, actually, there's a nuance. Okay. Forgive me for raising this, but for elementary and high school students, but particularly elementary school students, it's not just their friends, but the parents of their friends, Hmm. which is different from college. Because they will be invited into their homes, and you can have a good kid, forgive me for putting it this way, Who could have really lousy parents because he may have remarkable grandparents who are his or her witness of faith and when they come into those homes those parents will expose them to not just their religious practice but to their beliefs and to their values Mm -hmm. and they are role models yes by virtue of being someone's parent so not to be, I, I don't want to sound as if I want parents to be paranoid, but they need to ask the question, all right, my little Tim is friends with this little boy, Joe, and Joe seems like a really nice kid, but his parents smoke marijuana. I'm making this up. <laughs> or uh, do I want my kid, do I want my son in that house?
0: Yeah. yep,
1: Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense.
1: Because when they're little, it's a package deal. When you're in college, it's really more of an adult to an adult sort of friendship.
0: That's right, yeah. Okay, Um, all right, so that's great. Then we're gonna take one more break, Excellency, and uh, and we'll come back with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. We have come to the point of the show, Excellency, where we have a listener question. And so Mm -hmm. here it is for this week. Can you recommend a book or program of study to help
1: increase my devotion to Mary? Amen. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Okay. The book is called A Year with Mary. It is daily meditations on the Mother of God. And the author is Paul and his last name. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. I will spell it. T-H-I-G... P-E-N. I'm not sure how you would pronounce that.
0: Yeah. Think pen? And it's
1: published by St. Benedict Press. And what it is, it is 365 excerpts from the spiritual masters throughout the history of the church. Only on Mary. So, St. Ignatius, St. Alphonsus, um, uh saint thomas aquinas uh saint francis de sales of uh, saint john paul ii every day and it is a beautiful book and it's a single page there's a quotation right a single page and then there's a closing prayer and something to consider the whole day so you can make a part of your prayer and the truth is there's a whole bunch of these it's one on Mary, one on the fathers of the church, the saints of the day. It's a whole series of books, but this one on Mary, I would highly recommend to anyone who wants awesome. to grow in their love and knowledge of Our Lady.
0: Fantastic, so A Year with Mary by Paul Thigpen, yeah. How we'll say.
1: Pen? <laughs> yeah, I think, Thigpen, I guess, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: It's not really by him, because it's by the saints, as you said, but it's- Yeah, he he's compiled. the editor. Yes, yes. yes. awesome. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And a big thank you to Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thanks for another great week. Um, would Would you please give us your blessing?
1: Certainly. The Lord be with you.
0: And with your spirit.
1: May Almighty God bless you and all those who listen to us this day in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. All right, my friend. I'll see you next week. Yes. Enjoy Thanks, excellent. Enjoy these last days, the last gasps of summer. Enjoy. All right. <laughs> you too, actually. All right. God bless you.